Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance will feature oily Mormons, eternal French stew, and the mystical art of staring at an ant. All this and more on this episode of Created Things. Welcome to Created Things, the only beauty podcast hosted by two beautiful dudes. I'm beautiful dude number one, uh, artist and psychotherapist, Jacob Flores Popcheck. With me, as always, is my good and excellent friend, uh, beautiful dude number two, <laughs> Father number Gabriel two. Toretta. <laughs> I'm Father Gabriel Toretta. I do kind of prefer, though, beautiful dude number two, actually. I'm, I'm going to take that. That'll be good. You should put that in your business cards. Beautiful dude number two. D. aka yeah et the real aka the real slim shady yes i too well, grew up in the 90s yeah okay you just flashed your mug on screen i tell did, me about yeah. your mug today father gabriel um this is a mug which is to be distinguished from a mug ing um so it's uh <laughs> it's got stuff clarify that yeah, I wanted to clarify. Just, you know, okay. words are hard, okay? Like, yeah, some words sound enough. like words. Um, it's a mug that has pictures of things on it. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of paintings from uh, Western art history. Um, okay. It just goes there ahead and has about, like, one thing from the Middle Ages because, like, the Middle Ages is apparently boring and nothing really happens in it. Anyway, right. it's great. It's it only gift, your uh, exclusive uh, purview. Fact. Uh, it was a gift from good friends uh, for Christmas one year, and uh, it's really great. It's also gigantic. You see, it's like a significant portion of the size of my head. Um, now my head is not huge, um, but uh, right. uh, for for all you audio listeners out there, imagine like a normal sized head, and you've imagined my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty apt description. You you for as smart a person as you are, you have a uh, a surprisingly average sized head. Yes. This is this is what happens with heads. Um, yes, that's all I have to we, say about that. We do this basically every time we start this podcast. We like have an extended conversation about what we're drinking. I'm I'm embarrassed. I'm only drinking water today because I'm so dehydrated. But mm, the reason I'm so sad. dehydrated is because of the other thing we always talk about at the beginning of our podcast, which is part of a segment that's becoming increasingly an integral and established part of this podcast. Where in the world are Jacob and Father Gabriel? Jacob and Father Gabriel. So, with that, my question to you is, since we are in a new place pretty much every time we record this episode, where so in the world is Father Gabriel today? And then I'll tell you about where uh, I am. I am where I technically actually live. So, this is technically actually my home, and I'm in Chicago. Um, in that's Chicago. why I have, like, my sweet things here, like my sweet... Um, these are squid. You can't. Our audio listeners, imagine a gigantic octopus that has been made out of plastic resin and is then done to be the shape of a book holder, so that you can use it as a bookend. And painted it's a squid, to look however, like, painted to look it's like an bronze. It's an yes, octopus. and painted to look like bronze. It's the most amazing thing. I love it completely. My parents gave it to me for Christmas one time. Oh. It's the best. Anyway, so I have my swag with me. Um, I'm sorry, the order swag. I have a vow of poverty um, because <laughs> this is where I technically live. Um, Jacob Flores Popcheck, explain yourself. Well, I am where I'm technically from. God help us all. I am in Steubenville, Ohio currently. 
um, having briefly detoured through uh, Wichita, Kansas. Um, I am in town to visit some friends and some family down here. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much. I'll 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 tell you a quick story about Steubenville that you know, I think Steubenville has this mythos around it for like really, um, like died in the wool Catholics. You know, Steubenville has kind of a a, a certain je ne sais quoi to it, the same way that when you talk to like a Muslim friend, if you mention like. Mecca, I presume, you know, it would have, would have that same kind of vibe. But my experience with Steubenville has been very different. When I was a, when I was a little, um, freshman at Franciscan University of Steubenville, um, I, being a, a young white nerd, had some swords mm. that, um, I was very, very, you know, excited about, loved very, very much. And I decided to bring them to my dorm room despite weapons being very clearly not allowed and i kept them in the dorm room and um the ras who would would do this thing where when you would gone they when you were gone they would just unlock your door and sneak around your room to see if you had any like immoral contraband because that's contraband contra swords Right, exactly. And they found the swords and they reported me. And I was brought into the RD's office. And, and I'm telling you this because th this was the case I made to the RD. I said, look, I said, um, we're living in a, in a perpetually gray and rainy valley where the sun is blot literally blotted out by the putrid emissions of a 90-year-old steel mill. It, we are on top of a little hill with medieval churches and castles on it. And at the time, the princess of Luxembourg mm. was actually studying at our school. And I said, to, I said to the RD, for these reasons, when, not if, a dragon attacks, you will want someone with a sword. You've got a point. He has a point. I've got a, it was a real point, right? That's a legitimate point. You've got a princess. Like. You've got smog. That's with an OG, not an AUG. Right. Um uh, you've got uh little bit little 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 huts. Um you have yeah. people who would apparently would probably be delicious if you were a dragon. Right. Um yeah, we have sort of medievally minded Christian people. Yes. You know, I mean, um, really, it's, it's, if I were looking to. It was altruistic. What I'm hearing you say, this is altruistic. Yeah. I'm basically, I mean, it's not for me to say that I'm a hero, but you can say. Yeah, exactly. Hero. But other people could say it for you, you right. know, which anyway, I'm willing to do. Despite the obvious ecosystemic reasons, uh, justifying my, my possessing the swords, the RD did not bite and I was fined $75 and had to get rid of them. That's $75 for, um, for violating the no weapons policy. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not horrible. It's not the worst fine I paid while I was there. <laughs> that's well, you know, that's encouraging. I feel like this could also be a whole part of our series for oh, it what, will be. what is it like to what is it like for us the two of us to talk together? Well, first you tell me about some fines you incurred. Right. And then like, listen, this is apropos of nothing, but I'm gonna tell you a thing I learned like an hour ago, and this is hot off the presses. I nearly blew up. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Father um, Gabriel learned a new thing. I learned a thing and, and his head such... grew two sizes that day. 
Yes, exactly. Now I have a big head. Um, it's such a thing I couldn't even believe it. So, uh, I read so many books by Orson Scott Card when I was a kid. Um, okay. Uh, he's this like really great. You? Yeah, he's this really great science fiction author. Um, and I just I read so many of his books. Um, he has this, I believe, five volume fan- science fiction series that's really, really, really good. And only at the end of it did I realize that it was a five volume science fiction retelling of the book of Mormon. What? Which it is. It's the most amazing thing. It's so good. Um, Wait, so you, this book series you read, you only found it an hour ago was actually like Narnia, but for Mormonism. No, this is all background. Uh, I knew all that because I, because I read him obsessively as a child um, and for much of my life. No, the new thing I just found out is that Orson's Cut Card is Brigham Young's great-great-grandson. What? Yes, this was my reaction. I couldn't believe it. I was blowing up. He is actually Brigham Young's great-great-grandson. Oh, that's too weird. It's a fact. Yeah, some of his books have some pretty kinky situations going on. You just I think mean, that's like, Mormonism for you, man. Well, no, but I'm not saying like people married to like many people. I'm saying like, wow, this is this isn't like Twilight. Like, I love you, but you're a vampire. But let's like hug and be best friends and like with all of our clothes Which on. Which you mentioned situation. Twilight because, of course, that's the other great work of Mormon fantasy fiction. Right. Uh, yes. Yes. Did I hear you describe it as great? Because well, I mean, as far. <laughs> Okay, because man. no comment. No, because no comment. That's a, this was a no. Okay, you know man. what, Jacob? I was 14 years old. I had a huge crush on this girl. She was super hot and she loved Twilight. So I read all mm. the books and it was before the movies came out and wow. I didn't not enjoy them. Wow. Um, so, uh, so gentle listeners, this is our mistakes we have made podcast <laughs> going. Yeah. In, in order, um, liking a woman. Reading Twilight, <laughs> going to Franciscan University. <laughs> no, one of those is not a mistake. Only one, though, and you know, the listener gets to choose which it is. That's <laughs> exactly right. So, yeah. Okay. No, but this is incredible. Yes, I found this out because I was I was obsessively trying to figure out if um, if the fake doctor who started um, Young Living, the essentially oily company, um, was... Oh, I didn't... I've never heard of this. Uh, yeah, Young Living, you know, they, it's, they make all the, like, they do most of, like, the essential oils that are sold in America. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a big company um, whom I will not give free advertising to by mentioning their name. Um, but uh, but there's this other one, which I only know about because uh, I spent, like, most of the last year living in Salt Lake City um, because COVID. Just pretend that that follows. And um, <laughs> uh, anyway, I passed by their headquarters one time and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like the essentially oily people. And it turns out so they're called Young Living in part because they were founded by this guy, D. Gary Young, um, uh, which is amazing in part because his name really reminds me of um, uh, what's this? What's the what's the uh, the evil pastor from or uh, from um Kimmy Schmidt, his name is oh, uh, oh, Gary uh, Glenn, Glenn Pastor, Wayne Gary Wayne. Yeah, Glenn Wayne Gary Wayne. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of sounds like that, which is amazing. And uh, uh, I was I was trying to figure out if uh, if this D Gary Young is in fact in any way related to Brigham Young. Uh, and all I could say is that um, yes, very responsible websites with with names like Oil Wellness for You. 
www.wordpress.com I <laughs> said that he was um oh my god so I think that that's also proven so I have discovered various things one is that Brigham Young is in some fashion essentially oily uh and another is that Orson Scott Card is uh his great grandson so you mentioned um, you mentioned not wanting to give that's inc- first of all incredible so incredible anyway, there's just like so many the world is amazing. The world is an amazing place, full of wonders. Uh, you also mentioned, you know, not wanting to give them free advertising, but that actually hits on an idea I've been wanting to talk to you about. I, I, I would like money for this podcast. I want. Hey, me to, too. I want people to pay me money, and hey. it's very, very hard, notoriously hard, to get um, sponsors for your podcast. Right? Very, very hard to get people to sponsor your podcast. But if you ever listen to a podcast, you know that the big ones all have sponsors randomly. They'll just stop and they'll say, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Do you want to make a website or some other nonsense? And it's always like the same five companies that sponsor these things. Um, But I had an idea. I had an idea. What if instead of hustling really hard to find sponsors for our podcast, what if you and I periodically throughout the the episodes just did anti-sponsorships? We just talk about... Um, preferably like small Catholic companies because of, you know, the focus of our, of our thing and just trash them, just trash these companies, this do like good. ads and, against yeah. them. Like, like yeah. the kinds you see about politicians every four years and then, in, and then they have to pay us to stop doing it. Or competitors could pay us to do this, you know, right. and you won't exactly. know, like, are these, are these just these guys like legit hot takes or, or right. maybe they it was maybe like, are they being paid? You know, was that like a pro young living thing that just happened? Are we in favor of being essentially oily or not? Like it's kind of complicated. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm essentially oily, but it's, it's a dermatological condition. Not Yeah, I am, but I'm Italian. So it's just kind of, that's how it goes. You know, I don't really, I mean, it doesn't, let me put it this way. It doesn't smell nice, you know? No. So I don't really know why so people, people are so into it because yeah. like I've been essentially oily my whole life. And like people tell me like, <laughs> you have to take a shower and things like that, which I don't understand, you know, like right. I'm a marketable commodity. Right, exactly. But I think what is else is a moder- marketable commodity, excuse me, is, is us, uh, ragging on on companies until they give us money in sort of a blackmail sort of a situation so uh if you gentle listener have an idea for a company that you would like us to do an anti-sponsorship for uh shoot us an email shoot us an email or get in touch with us on our instagram at uh at created things podcast and we will uh we will do a nega commercial for that yes all that aside we got a very cool topic lined up for today, Father Gabriel. We got a very, very cool topic. Um, a topic that is uh, interesting to both you and I in our professional lives. You as a you know priest, as a as a pastor, and me as a uh, both an artist and a psychotherapist. We have very different doors into this house, but it is the same house that we are entering into, and that is the idea of how to make your life more beautiful. I think beauty is a is a thing that is, you know, talked about sort of amorphously, sort of abstractly, as you know, something that only defines paintings or, you know, statues and things like that. But um, this is a, a a value. This is a point that is very close to both of our hearts. That that lives are made to be beautiful um, themselves. So maybe you could give me some of your thoughts on on just this topic generally before we kind of break down some specific how tos for our listeners on how maybe they can actually make their lives more beautiful what what would you say i guess it means to make a life beautiful or 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 why is that even something we should be striving for 
you know, see, the thing is, like, people do all, I mean, people write all kinds of stuff, and they have for years and years, decades, hundreds of years, um, about beauty, and they think about beauty theologically, and, you know, ultimately, what this always comes down to, what people are always talking about, is, like, basically, this is our life, you know, like, there's something about the, what it means to be a human being that, like, by its nature, um, it has beauty to it. It manifests some of God's beauty, actually, and that that's part of what's amazing about the individual human life is that, like, when we talk, we're talking about, for instance, like, holiness, we're talking about manifesting something about God's beauty that only this one person can manifest, that nobody else can, you know? Um even somebody who's not living a totally perfectly holy life, like in some ways are manifesting in a lesser degree, something of God's beauty. And so there's something that's like, really, this is actually who we are. This is actually deeply integrated in what it means to be a human being. Uh, but because it's so deep and because it's so rich, it's going to mean that there's all kinds of different layers here, like a parfait, one could say, but there's all <laughs> kinds of different layers. You know, like, everything's... Parfait. Fact. Parfait. So, uh, we just, I feel like it's worth our time to actually stop and think, um, and unpack that. And ultimately, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we're trying to do all the time here on the podcast, like, you know, sure. including essentially oily asides aside, um, <laughs> uh, is that, you know, there is actually just too much here to talk about and just say like, well, this is what beauty is. This is how you do it. Go home. You know, like, um, we're just kind of like, we have to talk around this, think around this, think like, how would I live into this? What would it be like? Mm -hmm. um, because the, one of the things about beauty, I would say one last thing I would say is that um, one of the things about beauty is it has this kind of attractive character to it by its very nature that like we look at it, we want to just like behold it and contemplate it and let it change our lives. Um, and so one thing that um, that we're trying to do here is sort of propose, unveil a little bit about like, here's something that I've seen that was a beauty that drew me mm -hmm. and I'm telling you about it because I think it might draw you too, you know? And if it right. doesn't, it doesn't, you know, but like, here's something that I know that was beautiful and true and that I've seen it. And I want you to see it too, if you can. Yeah. Which I think is one of the most intimate and, and beautiful experiences two people can have together. Um, I'm also excited about this topic because um, I've mentioned this to you off air before, but um, many years ago, um, I was in talks with a certain Catholic radio station to actually do a radio program on the arts and on beauty, um, a, a more formal version of, of what you and I are doing here. And uh, one, of the, one of the questions that the producers asked that eventually made it that we didn't end up going forward with the project because they couldn't get past it was, you know, why should someone who's not an artist care about beauty at all? And, and they were, they just couldn't get past that. And, and what was funny to me is the, I mean, again, this is a Catholic, um, radio program saying this and, and presumably we have some listeners who are, who are not Catholics and, and I, I welcome you, you know, everybody's welcome here. Um, but I will say that from a Catholic perspective, you know, something that was very drilled into me by some of my theological mentors was that beauty is seen as a human right by Catholics along the same wavelength as, you know, food and water that, you know, when we're 
caring for the homeless person. It's not just about, you know, for instance, the stereotypical sort of caring for the poor. It's not just about, okay, are they fed? Are they watered? It's also about making sure, are we presenting beauty in their life? Which was in no small part, you know, the guiding philosophy behind building some of the the churches that now, you know, non-Catholic people will often say, well, why don't you just sell the church and, and give that money to the poor? Well, because we sort of built those churches for the poor as well to fulfill another legitimate human right, which is the right to be exposed to beauty. And so I kind of have come into my whole adult life, both as an artist and as a psychotherapist with this personal charism that says, hey, people need beauty in order to live well. They need to feel beautiful personally. They need to be able to observe beauty practically in their lives. They need to be kind of steeped in a in a beautiful uh, philosophy or perspective or worldview, what have you. Um, and then to be encountered by very well-meaning people. I mean, they're, they're, they're great folks, but um, very well-meaning people who, who were like, well, this is just a thing for artists was so discouraging and was really instrumental in, in planting the seed that eventually birthed this podcast. So I'm excited to talk about just a few ways that people can personally make their lives more beautiful. Um, picking up, of course, where you know, you, you're, you're saying, hey, this is something that I've found beautiful. Maybe you won't, but, um, but it'd be awesome if you do. You know, these, I guess, these points that you and I have come up with to, that are easy ways to make your life more beautiful, are, are, are coming not from, I don't think, you know, theological documents or psychological treatises. They're, they're coming from our lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. <laughs> of course, one funny thing about what you just said is that like, uh, I mean, that, that uh, radio station's response is that um, most artists would say, well, what does beauty have to do with being an artist? <laughs> because uh you know because basically post-world war ii there's this post-world war one and world war ii there's this really heavy shift um in uh most aspects of art creation um in europe and america that is like very 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 anti-beauty very specifically and intentionally and kind of well conceived so well and badly conceived at various times so uh, so that's also kind of an extra funny uh bonus of the whole pro thing there, super but... funny and it sort of makes you know not to get too catholic about all of it but it's sort you know it sort of makes beauty that that baby Jesus for whom there's no room at the inn. Nobody nobody has room for beauty. Artists don't yeah. have room for beauty anymore. They don't want to make it. They want to make, you know, they they want to explore truth, which is, you know, truth as a word for many artists is just shorthand for ugliness and cynicism. And, you know, the average Joe you know, the average probably listener to this podcast doesn't have time for beauty. You know, that's really low on the Maslow hierarchy of needs that they're living their life by. And, and I mean, besides you, I don't hear a whole lot of clergy talking about beauty that often outside of the pinkies up version that, you know, makes people ashamed of themselves. So, you know, it, it really is this, this sad little baby Jesus wandering around just looking for a, a, a place to spend the night. Maybe maybe this podcast can be can be a little beauty manger. <laughs> yes, let's do it. You couldn't you couldn't see, but I was trying to like hold my hands like I'm swaddling a baby, but it didn't really work. You're swaddling uh, beauty itself. Yes, yes, that's that that can be an opening for a future podcast. The yes. only podcast where we swaddle beauty. Swaddling. Beauty. <laughs> swaddling. <laughs> All right, that's enough of enough of that. Enough enough prelude. Um, 
why don't you start us off, Father? Why don't you give us uh, the first point you would give to anyone looking to to make their life a little bit more beautiful if that idea isn't too broad? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you said, this isn't coming from theological documents or psychological treatises. It's coming from real life. And I'm saying, well, let me show you something that is also, it's kind of also. Well, I guess I should say that. It is coming from all of those places, but we have lived it. As yeah. well. also, and hum, hum, we hum, have hum, we hum. have sort of these are all kind of pre myth bustered by us in our personal life. I yes, guess I exactly, precisely, precisely. Right. We've already um, we've already road tested them, and they're user ready, as far as I can tell. So, yeah. Pope John Paul II um, wrote this uh, really breathtaking, very beautiful uh, letter to artists, mm-hmm. and. Um, at the end of it, he just goes on to explain. So he's talking to artists and he's like, blah, 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 blah. You artists, you do things. And he's great. It's the whole thing is stupendous. Um, but then he says uh, at the end, he's basically everyone needs to realize that like everyone is the fundamental call that everyone has as being a human being is to be an artist of their own life mm-hmm. and that their life is the work of art that they are called to work on and called to make beautiful. Right. And for me, this realization, this was like, this was like an explosive realization. It's like a dropping a bomb where, and I think coming to this, like actually sitting with this and letting it kind of like unpack in you is something that it's the first thing that I would recommend to anybody who says like, I just kind of feel like, my life needs beauty in some kind of a way. And maybe I don't exactly know what that means yet, but um, but I kind of want it. It's, I want something, you know? I say sit with this idea and like l- see where it might go. Because there's just something immense here, right? It's just, it's just immense, this idea that like... So for one thing, for, speaking for somebody who is not an artist and can't do anything, you know, <laughs> except for like order plastic resin gold painted octopus uh bookends from the internet um which in fairness even your parents did for you so you didn't you can't even claim that fact that is actually something my parents did for me um so uh I hear artists and like, I think all kinds of things, you know, the beret, the cigarettes, you know, like whatever, the tight bents, um or whatever, or or you think like um which inadvertently you did. just described me perfectly. I, I did, I in fact. Wear yeah, beret, I wear beret. I wear very, 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 very um, tight pants, notoriously so. Yeah. So you just um, described all that's true. all it takes to be an artist. I mean, you just Yeah, you gentle me. gentle viewer, beware. Tight pants. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is and, all very uh, it's all very chest up, even in the video version, but mm-hmm. you'd be alarmed. Yeah, it's because to say of the, the tight least. pants. Yeah, that's why we're yeah. not doing full body shot yeah. like we would. But um because I think that's pretty normal. Um yeah. mm-hmm. uh I oh, got so distracted by that. Um, yes, <laughs> when you is, hear uh, artists, oh, or you we think, think like maybe like things. Damien Hirst, you know, which is the like he made he made he took a human skull and covered it in diamonds because it's a it's a statement. I don't know, right? Why. Or you it's nail a, a banana to a wall, or that's you know. art, bro. Right. Uh, yeah, so we think of art and we think like this kind of stuff, or you know, or then you think of like the quote great masters, or you think of whatever, whatever. Um, so, but, but the point is, it's like always somebody else, right? Like it's always somebody else, maybe somebody else with something a little bit wrong with them or something a lot wrong with them or somebody who's a little bit of a fraud or a lot of a fraud. And like, that's kind of what we think of for artists, you know? Yeah, um, but John Paul II, like this is, I, to me, this is a really revolutionary idea. It's like, hold the phone. Everybody is an artist. 
and I don't mean this in this kind of like silly sort of like, oh my gosh, you just drew this and it's so amazing. I'm going to put it on the fridge. It's not like God is like looking at this garbage that you, that you drew and like, I'm going to put this on the celestial fridge, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's like, no, no. Um, but just like literally what is an, what is an, what is an art? What is a work of art? It's, it's right. something, it's an action of human making it's mm-hmm. something of as something made by human manufacture or art, artifice you know literally um and the first and greatest thing that we have that literally everybody has and is responsible for is like his or her own life um that this is literally a work of art and because it's a work of art it is by its nature to be beautiful it has beauty about it and the more the more that it can be fashioned well to be to be it will be beautiful um and i just think that's something very powerful and very liberating yeah i agree and it's 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 a beautiful thing because you know we theologically of course we talk about being god's artwork being his his masterpiece in fact the masterpiece of creation the only thing that according to genesis he reviewed as being very good Right, as opposed to just solid, it was good. Um, but we are not static, right? We're not an artwork that that ends. Um, we're an artwork that continues. We we somehow are not just the painting. We are also the brush that continues to perpetuate the painting. Um, an, an analogy I often use with my clients because you know I I will often speak to this is maybe tangential, but I think it, it it's related. Um. I will often speak to clients who are very, very discouraged by, um, oh my gosh, I have so far to go in terms of my personal progress or growth or getting past this, you know, this wound or this issue. And I always relate to this, relate to them, this, uh, this analogy where, um, famously when, when Walt Disney opened Disneyland, he said, Disneyland, um, will never be finished. Disneyland will never be finished. Um, the idea being that they would always be adding and subtracting attractions and augmenting things and taking things away and adding things that it was a that it was a living creature, right? Mm-hmm. But I always then ask the clients, okay, so as as un as perpetually unfinished as Disneyland is intentionally designed to be, is it incomplete? Is it not yet open for business? Is it not yet the most magical place on earth, right? The answer to all those questions, you know, for the purposes of the analogy, anyway, being no, right? It is open for business. It is established. It is complete, ostensibly, right? And and uh, at least if the marketing slogan is to be believed that it's the most magical place on earth, right? You know, hey, but it's... if marketers lie, who can you trust? <laughs> okay, that's that's just this is how I live. You it's know, a, it's a very fragile Jenga tower upon which we exist, you and I. Um, but, but yeah, no, but, and yet it is this perpetually unfinished thing. And I, I like to think of us as the children of God in much the same way. He has created us as, as complete artworks, but we aren't finished, you know, and, and beautifully he has not made us bystanders in that he has actually gifted us the paintbrush to continue sort of finishing ourselves, if you will, to partake in the artistic process of making beautiful our own lives. And in doing so, entrusts us with a really profound creative dignity because, you know, most other religions would just consider, hey, you know, 
god or the gods or a spirit you know sort of fashioned you and you're done and now it's just you know that's it that's the end of the story but we are in this active participatory role with god that i don't think is any any small thing yeah no i agree with you completely um yeah that uh that this is and that um also it's also what i think is so splendid about this is um so starting in 17th 18th century like it's this like very romantic with a capital r notion of like what an artist is so like Kant has all this stuff about like the genius the artistic genius you know um, mm-hmm. and then we kind of get this idea that like yeah i guess part of this idea that artists are some special kind of human being they have some sort of genius connection to the muses or whatever you know where it just kind of seems like, oh, they just like sit around and then they just like bang out this incredible poem or this amazing painting or like whatever. But the thing is, like, sculptors are the I think thinking about sculptors are the best because sculptors are they are manual laborers. Sure. They are yeah. manual laborers. You like lift heavy things, you bang heavy things, you like hurt yourself, you get covered in dust, you like choke, um, or you're dealing with like burning hot metals and it's hard. Like this is physically exhausting, super taxing. It is like hard, dirty, ugly labor. Like at the end of the day of work, like you are not a gorgeous person. You didn't just like sit around and smoke some cigarettes and then have the genius, you know? Like yeah. it's, mm-hmm. um, there's like, it was incredible labor and if anybody just like froze and couldn't see the thing that you were working on and looked at you they'd be like this is just some gross dirty manual labor like doing doing some like gross dirty thing that i don't want to be involved in you know um but this is the but this is the point this is what it is like to like be the artist who is allowing his or her own life to be like your masterpiece, your great work of beautiful art is that like you get really dirty in it. Like it's, it doesn't, you get really dirty in it. It is hard work. It is exhausting labor. Like it might look like it's something totally different entirely. Um, if you were constantly, you know, kind of constantly looking at myself, like I'm, I might look really pretty kind of ugly, just weird, distracted, not what I was hoping to look like all these different things. I'd be, I didn't think this is what it was going to be like. Um, and yet, like, if I actually concentrate on the thing itself, discover, like, it is actually becoming beautiful by all of this labor, Mm. you know? Um, and I think that's really, that's also part of what I find to be so immensely liberating about it is that, like, when I say, think about, about this idea of, of, of being an art, thinking of your life as a work of art. Yeah, exactly. When I say, like, think of your life as a work of art, I don't mean, like, just like bliss out from day to day and if everything ever like harshes your bliss just like exile it no i don't mean that (laughs) i mean like get into it get into it like go crazy do it like do what's available to you to like do that hard work to like or do whatever that is available to you to like make your life beautiful to actually like think of it really as a work of art that like um by the unimportant and whatever things that you do can like actually manifest some of God's own beauty. I recently finished a pretty, uh, what you're saying is really resonating because I recently finished a pretty massive art installation piece. That was one of the first, um, 
I do a lot of digital art, but it was just one of the first like really physical things I, I sculpted out. Um, I sort of rendered it digitally and then we, you know, we carved it out with a router and then I carved more of it out by hand and I spent days sanding it and staining it and painting it and decorating it. This, this huge thing. And, you know, my clothes are ruined by the stain and I'm covered in the sawdust and I'm dehydrated as all hell. And I'm, you know, my, my neck and my back are killing me. And I don't, I don't look like what I imagine being an artist looking like. You know, I, uh, I had a, I had an amazing, an ama- this guy is amazing, this amazing art mentor um, in, in graduate school, Mark Bender. Um, if anybody is interested in seeing some really, really cool stylized pieces, you should look up Mark Bender illustration. But he always had a joke that the official uniform for graphic designers um, that we, we were only allowed to wear um, three colors, black, white, and, uh, and gray, which is really just pastel black. That's what he would say. And, pastel and black. you know, Best so I sort of, it. I, in part because of that, I have this very, uh, you know, sleek image of the artist wearing my, my crisp white shirt and my, you know, my black skinny jeans and my, my idiot Pixar glasses that I wear and my iPad and, you know, my, my coffee and everything, which, you know, we, you and I have joked about the organization Catholic creatives before, um, I've spoken at their, uh, summit and you, you visited and they're, they're cool people. But I remember pulling up for the first Catholic creatives summit that I ever attended. And it was literally that, like, it was like 14 white men with like very trimmed beards, crisp white Oxford shirts, black pants, those like soft leather shoes with like the colorful laces and then clear, uh, clear rimmed glasses. And I was like, was there a memo that I missed? And, and this is, this is the, uh, you know, and there I am with my bracelets and my, you know, t-shirts and everything. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm showing up and I'm thinking, God, this is what it, this is what it looks like to be an artist. But when you actually get down to making art, it's ugly and it's sweaty and it's painful and it's gross and it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. And I think yeah. that if you're able to see the crafting of your life that way, it adds a very Christian, very holistic, um, very peace-giving perspective and mentality to the way that you approach the various challenges of your life, saying, hey, the pain of this, the frustration of this, the ugliness of this, that's not a bug, that's a feature, and actually right. it's worth exactly. it because I'm making something beautiful and fantastic and edifying and fulfilling that's that's going to outlive me, that's going to affect many, 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 many people for the better, if I intend it to do so, and and that is not going to leave me empty either. Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And that, yeah, it comes, it comes about through these kinds of things. I mean, it's, um, well, I mean, just think, right? Like, um, how do you get an adult who can like do beautiful things and do all these things? Well, it doesn't happen except through passing this phase where like, you just kind of like poo everywhere (laughs) all the time for a while. And somebody's got to kind of like, take care of that situation which is like kind of nasty uh and that's just how it is but like yeah i mean when you're doing it you know you whatever um new mom or dad changed like 20 diapers a day like this does not seem like something tremendously beautiful um but like guess what 
it is actually like this is like this is how you do it this is just, yeah. just like i mean how do you get how do you get this beautiful like um statue like well it doesn't happen except by like banging away chipping away hacking away like doing this doing that doing this doing that which is at the time like exhausting and frustrating you would kind of wish that you could skip it but you can't Mm because like that thing itself is already the making of the statue yeah and this and the faster you accept that the faster it becomes fun right right or if not fun at least edifying or joy giving or fulfilling and yeah fun fun maybe some things fun may may never be fun but like they're meaningful they are what they are valuable you know i mean yeah enriching in some way i i counseled a woman a while back lovely lovely woman but she had been a filmmaker and she had was and she should have given that up to be a stay-at-home mom and was struggling with with raising her her very young child um and we went through this. I was like, you know, we because I, I also am a graduate of film school. And, you know, we we went through like, hey, when I was working in film school, we would be up at 5 a.m. And we would be sitting in front of that computer and we would be watching back some of those videos with a magnifying glass down to the frame to cut things out. And the attentiveness and the exhaustion... I said, is, is every, all of those skills you're using now as a mom, this isn't, you know, what we're, what you and I are describing today is not some pretty analogy. We're not saying, you know, being alive is like being an artist. We're not saying, you know, that there is some kind of higher artistic angle you can take to the mundane drudgery of life. We're, we're literally saying the highest art form is living your life and leaning in to the process of making it something beautiful. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And any of the skills that an artist might uh, perform, whether it's sculpting or video editing, as I was just saying, or the endless amounts of math I have to do when I when I make some kind of logo or graphic design, which I, side note, I feel very betrayed. I became an artist, so I would never have to do science or math ever again. And I'm having wow. to do more math than I ever had to do in school uh, trying to figure out, you know, how big the the logo on the side of that semi-truck should be. But that said, all those skills that you cultivate as an artist are the very skills that give you fulfillment and edification when you apply them to making your life the highest artwork. Cool, man. Exactly right. This is very cool. That's a great... That's a great that's a great coda there to end to end that on. So why don't you move on to yours cuz that's uh that thing that's great. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, so so I mean, yeah, start beginning I guess with with your sentiment that we really just want to meditate upon um being artists and and what that looks like. You know, one one really practical way and this is so so you mentioned I'll, I'll, I guess I'll get into it this way. You mentioned a few minutes ago um right actually right at the beginning of your your explanation this sort of uniqueness where each each one of us has something unique to add, some unique beauty to contribute. Um, you know, nobody can be me better than I can be me sort of a, a, a mentality, but, but you know, higher than that. Um, and this, this first point of mine really follows through on that idea, which is um, you and I have talked off air about how uh, – the, the psychological community stresses beauty really insofar as it stresses self-care, mm. right? Um, which is, I think, well-intentioned, but falls really, really short. 
you know, beauty in life cannot just be taking a bubble bath or I kid you not. I read an article where they were saying the highest form of self-care is eating an orange in the shower. Right. Like, okay. I, Newsflash, that is not the highest form of self-care. It's not at all. It's not the, no, but not only is it not the highest form of self-care, self-care isn't the highest form of, of making things beautiful. And I talk to people all the time. We live in a very go, go, go kind of capitalistic society where, as we were saying before, beauty is given very, very, very low market value. It's very, very low on the to-do list. Um, and these people I talk to, they burn themselves out and they're exhausted from all the work that they've done and they choose to respond to that by quote unquote relaxing mm. and the, you know they will they will take a bath or they'll watch tv or they'll have a beer or whatever it is and i'm not gonna sit here and say those things aren't good things in themselves or can't be good things but what i will say is that as far as this conversation about beauty goes what you know my my counter proposal to doing something relaxing is doing something that um, shines a light on or otherwise highlights your you-ness. And, and, mm. and this is, you know, this, I guess, in a nutshell, is my, is my main point of, of something a person can do to make their life more beautiful, is actively prioritize doing some small thing small being the operative word here because we don't want to think in binaries where it's all or nothing right but uh actively prioritizing some small thing that reminds you of who you truly are mm -hmm. um so i will you know for instance i will say to you know the overworked mom i'm like when's the last time you wore this piece of jewelry that really made you feel like you or, or I'll, you know, I'll ask a, a depressed dad at work. I'm like, when you imagined being this powerhouse business guy, how did you imagine dressing? You know, or, or I'll say like, you know, think of the times where you felt most you, where you've sat there and said, wow, only I could have done this the way that I did this. How did you feel when you said that? And what was it that you were doing that made you do that? That's the sort of thing that God's put on your heart to be your personal brand of quote unquote relaxation. Don't get me wrong. There are people in the world who really feel relaxed going and sitting on a beach, right? There are also people in the world who might feel the absence of overworked by sitting on a beach, but don't feel relaxed there. Right. Because right. those are two different things. Um, mm. Likewise, you know, I was picking uh, picking on Disneyland earlier, but like there are people, most of us could never go to Disney and have a relaxing time. That's a death march experience for most of us. But there are some people I know. And as much as I love Disney parks and all those things, I am not one of these people who who absolutely make every one of their vacations going to Disney because there's something about it that relaxes them on a fundamental level. And, and the reason for that is there is something for those people about being at Disney that reminds them of who they truly are. And the mm. people who relax on the beach, there's something about being on that beach that reminds them of who they truly are. You know, for me, like there is, there is nothing that kind of gets my spirituality back on track, like sitting on a boat in the ocean, being mm. able to connect with Christ 
in that way, like imagining him sitting on the boat in the ocean and the countless gospels where he does that. And he, you know, and, and reflecting on my own smallness in the ocean and, and being in the, you know, part of the grander scheme of God and all those things, all, all of those ideas become a thousand percent more visceral when I'm sitting on a boat in the ocean. Now, if I can have a margarita in my hand, all the better, but that's not, I'm not there because, oh, I just don't want to be working. I'm there because it reminds me about something about me. So on the, on the skit, whether we're talking about the small stuff, like, Hey, are you dressing like the ideal you wants to dress? Oh, I can't, I can't do that. Cause that would take an extra 15 minutes, you know, in the morning. Okay. Get up a little bit earlier and dress the way the ideal you dresses because it will make you feel better throughout the day or whether or whether it's on the grand scale you know choosing a vacation destination based not on what's going to be the least worky but the most uh e so to speak you know um another example you know the, the last several weeks i've been having because i made the mistake of taking on too many projects at the same time i've been having to produce more art than i've ever produced in a single stint ever it's it's been nice. a lot and there have been several times where I have sat there and been like, I just want to turn on the TV and watch like the dumbest movie I can find. But in those moments, I have pushed myself and, and to do something that is that is central to my meanness um, at, at certain points, including drawing more. But this time I'm going to draw something not for a client, not for a job, but something silly that only I like, right? Because hey, who Jacob is, and at least in part, is this artist, and I want to create something that's going to just give me joy. And and even though that is going to take a little bit more of the gas reserve at the bottom of my tank, it's going to multiply that, that fuel so much more than just sitting there and watching a stupid movie would. Um, and so this, this is generally a charism that I push on everybody, but it's, you know, in part because it forces us, I think, to... And I know I'm rambling here, but I, I think it, it forces us to get to know ourselves a little bit more. You know, you were talking about leaning into the particular ways that God has called you to make your life a particular work of art. And and it it's easy to just say, oh, I'm going to not work today and that's going to be my relaxation. It's hard to say, hey, what makes me me and what things can I do to facilitate more meanness? That is a much more difficult, thought-provoking, um, awareness-centered mindful process right but it's it's more worth it as a result of it um as a result of that hard work uh and and so you know i always recommend this to people both because of the self-awareness it it encourages and also because genuinely you feel a hell of a lot better after spending 15 minutes doing something that's that's authentic to you than you do fitting into some bizarre uh, you know, objective cultural standard for what a lack of work looks like. Right. You know, I think that's really helpful. I, um, I had never thought about it in that kind of terms, but, you know, I, I remember sort of first realizing very clearly when I was in college that basically if I, if I'm not working on a novel, I mean, reading a novel, um, if mm -hmm. I'm not like reading a novel, um, at some point, like over the course of a couple of days, you know, or whatever, basically I go nuts. <laughs> it's like very psychologically unhealthy. Uh, and in fact, like uh, this, like this, this last much of these last nine months, um, 
I was working on this big academic project <clears throat> where I just didn't have time. Um, I, I was I was reading academic stuff like twelve hours a day, and then by the time that I was done, I was just so I couldn't I just couldn't hold the book anymore, and it was just like and so so I so I basically didn't read a novel for like well not very many at least uh for like nine months which is something that's like never happened to me before um and uh and it was like not great it was not a good thing for me you know because in the end i couldn't i couldn't ever like really it was it was i had in the end i partly had to i realized i had to like find other ways to actually like be regenerated like Mm -hmm. recreated in that um because this one that was like always my way of being like remade alive see wasn't was for this particular reason not available you know um but i but i get it because like um you know i've i've had these experiences where again i would never have thought to put it in those ways in that term but like i've had these experiences where it's like well i have like an afternoon free or whatever i could like take a nap and believe me i mean sometimes you just need to take a nap but like, sure, yeah. I could, like take a nap or i could do whatever or i could like take a novel and like go somewhere and like get a coffee and just like sit with my novel for like an hour and it's amazing because at the end of that i just like feel like so much more of a human being you know sure, yeah. um like just genuinely like a human being it's amazing and this is something we've all viscerally experienced throughout the pandemic because I think mm. there were so many of us who at the beginning of the pandemic said, okay, this is a tough situation, but I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to learn this language and I'm going to learn this new skill. And I'm going to read these three books that have been sitting there. And I don't know a single bloody person in the world who did it. And, and, and if you are that person who did it, don't say so because we're all going to come to your house and stone you for it because we hate you. Right. Um, you know, this is just not something that any of us were able to do. And I think the, uh, if, if if my experience personally was indicative of anyone else's experience, and I suspect that it was based on who I've, you know, based on what I've heard from who I've talked to, you know, a lot of us were very anxious and frustrated and depressed and stir crazy at different times. And because of that, we chose to do things that the culture has taught us are relaxing. And we said, okay, I'm going to watch this show or I'm going to binge this thing or I'm going to, you know, eat this snack or whatever it is. And again, I don't mean, I don't want to sound like that guy who says, oh, you know, don't watch TV, go outside and take a walk. Look, there are certain people for whom binging that particular show does reflect their you-ness to them, right? And I'm not going to knock if that's the particular way to do it. What I'm going to knock is not doing that intentionally. If you're just settling on the show because you're like, eh, I want to turn my brain off for a while, that's bad and it's not going to fill you up again. If you're intentionally saying, hey, there's something about this show that is going to reinvigorate me or this book that's going to restore me or this taking a walk in the woods that's going to you know refill me or this drawing that's going to you know edify me if you're saying that with that charism of intentionality bangarang like that's fantastic um but but again you know to go off of your point god made us as his artworks to continue the artwork to, to continue, quote-unquote, finishing, you know, to use my Disneyland example, the artwork that we are, we got to know 
what he's already done. I can't just go in to the, to the studio with a master and see a half finished painting or a three quarter finished painting and then just take random paints and start splashing them on. I've got to study that painting closely and say, okay, where did he leave off? Why did he leave off this way? What size strokes are he using? What colors of paint is he using? What brushes is he using for this part versus that part, right? I have to figure out the process up until that point before I pick up the baton or the paintbrush for the sake of this analogy, right? And in the same way, if I'm going to work on restoring myself, if I'm going to work on beautifying my own life, I got to figure out what the hell, you know, God made so unique about me and perpetuate that thing. Right. And so right. even if you have read a hundred books for school and you can't imagine looking at another page, but then you go, Hey, but there's something about me that says, I really fill up after reading another novel or if there's, you know, or if you have done a hundred logo designs for somebody, but you're like, man, I really just want to doodle a dragon now. Right. You know, that's, if that's who you are, there is something sacramental, I think, in leaning into that you-ness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I would think about this like often, um, or related things like, um, I mean, various things that will come up in the confessional that you can tell is just like people being kind of the results, the sinful results of being just keyed up, you know, like over keyed <laughs> up and like never, right. like never being anything but keyed up, you know, right. um, <clears throat> you just say like, well, here's the thing, like, it's a little bit, I mean, it's a little bit like Ignatius's discernment of spirits, you know, but just like very, I mean, it is actually just a little bit very practical is you just think like. So you propose to yourself, I'm going to do this thing. So you do that thing. How does that thing make you feel? Like, how do you feel when you're doing it? And how do you feel afterwards? You know, and like, um, and use that as a kind of like divining rod to figure out like, what is actually going to, what is actually like, what is generative? Like what's actually recreated? What's in your language? Like what's really fitting in with the kind of you-ness of who I am, you know, um, mm -hmm. that therefore like naturally generates new life in me. Um, that is actually recreative. And not just recreation, if I could put it that way. Ooh, um, I like that. Recreative um, versus recreation. There you I go. Um, That's our bumper sticker. But we did it. It's a terrible bumper sticker. It's the worst. Um, <laughs> I've seen worse is, ones. Uh, I promise you I've seen worse ones. Probably true. So, uh, but, you know, just so just for instance, like, uh, let me give you like a casual example. I mean, like when I was a kid... Uh, we didn't really watch TV very much. We would we were allowed to watch like an hour a week, um, uh, except for on Sunday mornings because then my parents would sleep in if uh, would be allowed to sleep in if we were allowed to watch cartoons in the morning. Uh, and so we had this kind of like all you can watch Saturday morning cartoons thing going on because then my parents would sleep in. Um, and so I would often I remember like. But, like, again, because of, like, not being used to TV at all, um, and then, like, suddenly watching, like, two or three hours of TV, like, all in a row, uh, I always just remember, like, walking upstairs afterwards feeling like I had, like, a headache, I felt, like, dizzy, I felt, I felt like garbage, I just, like, felt physically like garbage, because I was just not used to being force-fed that much, you know, right. um, and uh 
but like we can use these things, you know? So, so again, like, and actually, but I also had a similar experience one time. Um, I used to play like a bunch of video games and, um, uh, and I personally stopped, um, in part because of, or almost entirely because of experiences like this, where I was playing, um, the Sims, the first one, uh, cause like that's, I'm old and, um, and it's a game you kind of get immersed in, like there's no end, there's no end, there's no beginning, there's no plot, you're just doing stuff. Um, and I remember like, so I played for like a whole evening or something and I turned it off and it's just like, I feel like garbage. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like I was having fun, like I was relaxing, like I was listening to music, I was playing this game, I was doing whatever, seeing like this is just the thing that I needed at the moment. But in the end, I felt like garbage, you know, and I just realized like, this is not actually helping anything. Right. And I think that, you know, some people, I think a lot of people have had that experience, um, including me, but I think pop psychology um, stops at, oh, well, therefore that thing is bad for, for us, right? Um, and, and I just want to push it further than that and say, no, maybe that thing is just not right for you. Right. You know, that and that's what I really want to push, you know, plenty of parents and psychotherapists and pastors out there say, oh, too much screen time is bad and too much video games are bad. But guess what? There are some people who feel really filled up after playing, you know, a video game with their friends or whatever. That's fine. If you're self-aware enough to know that that's who you are on some level and if you can connect and say, hey, this um this video game is able to shine a spotlight on this particular component or charism or, or part of who I truly am. And it reminds me of this value or characteristic that I have and, and maybe even emboldens that part of me or, or, or polishes it somehow. If you are intentional enough to be able to say that and you can, you can say that honestly, again, more power to you, you know, they're legitimately, I mean, I love, I love television and I, you know, if you are a client of mine and you get through a session without three pop culture references, you know, you should consider yourself very, very fortunate because it's, it's rare, you know, but I'm not just, and not to knock anybody for whom this is the, you know, particular thing that they do, but I'm not watching, you know, I'm not binging the office for the seventh time in two weeks when I watch television, I'm saying, wow, this thing looks really interesting or, you know, what can this thing teach me or what insight does this make me think about I'm actively engaging with the thing. I'm not just shutting my brain off and there's a way to do that with anything, right? Anything you like, there's a way to actively engage with it. And I think active engagement intention and, and intentionality, I think both those things are always, you know, value goods for the, for the human person. But the yeah, more we can grow in right. our understanding of our own, I think the the healthier and happier we become. Sure. Yeah. And I would just say like, but, but be careful of anything that sounds like this, like this is not an on off switch, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. this isn't, and I, and I, I know you're pushing back against that, but just like, um, to push back more is like, this doesn't just mean, oh, well, this is all evil. Or this is all good, you know, sure, like yeah. this is, this is the thing that kind of builds up, builds up who I am. And so like, I can just do it like forever, you know, mm -hmm. um, I mean, even the examples I gave, like, 
you know, maybe maybe like watching TV or playing this game for like half an hour or whatever actually would have been really refreshing and really great, you know, and then move on. But like at the point where <clears throat> and this is where you're saying with like intentionality and focus and like actual consciousness of what I'm doing, <clears throat> uh, I have to actually think like this is this was good for 15 minutes. Is it good for six hours today? Right. You know, you know it's it's funny you say that because because in addition to the Disneyland analogy that I often use with clients, um, the other analogy I use to explain what human progress is actually like, because, again, I think the the discouraging model many of my clients will fall into is this idea that, you know, life is a race and I, yeah. I, I get to the end of the race. I've completed all of my ob objectives. Um, and then I even I was talking to a fellow the other night who who described it this way. He says, you know, I, I do everything my wife asked me to do. And then I get to the end of the finish line and she says, OK, run five more miles. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's so, so discouraging. And I said, OK, I said, I really I think the discouragement, though, is in the perspective I said, there. You know, there's and I forget where this is. Um, but so so maybe if you know, if you know, tell me. But um this this is true there is a there is a pot of stew in france that has been cooking and being served for 400 years the same pot of stew and they keep it at a certain temperature where it doesn't like get all bacteria ridden and they just serve out of this bowl of stew and they add more to it every day so you know, on the one hand, it's sort of a ship of Theseus where it's not exactly the same stew that someone was eating 400 years ago. But it's also, you know, the same bowl, the same batch, all of that, you know. And and so every day, you know, the cook presumably wakes up and tastes the stew and says, OK, does this need a little bit more flour to thicken it? Does it need a little bit more chicken stock to thin it? Does it need a little bit more garlic to flavor it? Does it need a little bit less spice and actually we need to sweeten it some? Right. There is this constant, intimate investment in the making of the stew, this radical intentionality that says, number one, I need to be actively watching and participating in the creation of this stew in order to keep it tasting as delicious as it was yesterday. And number mm. two, just because I put more garlic in it yesterday doesn't mean that I necessarily have to put more garlic in it today. That is to say, what worked right. yesterday does not necessarily work today. And also, if it doesn't work today, that doesn't mean that yesterday by putting more garlic in it, I'm a failure, right? right. It means I was right. intimately aware of the stew. And in the same way, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, just because you have decided that for right now, something reflects your you-ness unto you, doesn't mean it's going to even not just tomorrow, but doesn't even mean it's going to for the rest of the day and being able right. to practice that kind of self-awareness that allows you to taste the stew, to study the painting, to, you know, look at the map of the theme park you're building to, to visit upon any of the analogies we post thus far and, and evaluate consciously and intentionally and self-awareedly, Hey, what does this need more of? I think is is really the key to as you said when you talked about you know reading a novel at a coffee shop getting in touch with your most humanness yeah 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 no i think that's good i think that makes sense cool so i'm fascinated i think your next point is probably a really just having having 
we, we didn't really talk about what our points are. We're going to be before this, but we sort of read our, each other's bullets, you know, the titles of things. And I'm, I'm guessing that your point is going to flow pretty well from what I'm saying here. Um, why don't you take it away with what your next concrete would be in terms of making life more beautiful for our listeners? I just say, observe stuff. <laughs> that's observe it. Stuff. I'm done. That's just it. Like just, just like just observe stuff. You know, it's amazing. Like, um, I I'm listening right now uh, to this audiobook of uh, Surely You're Joking, Mister Feynman. It's um, it's the memoirs of Richard Feynman, who is this uh, Nobel Prize winning physicist um, in the middle of the century. He worked on the Manhattan Project and like whatever. He's this fascinating guy and like really wild. Um, so he's this like he's telling you these stories and they're just like they will they will boggle your mind. He'll be like working on the Manhattan Project. Always and then a fun be thing like, to do. How do locks work? And then he'll just like <laughs> pick up a lock and like play with a lock and like all this. And then he like gets some books on locksmithing and then like lock picking and he like studies locks lock picking and then he like plays with locks and then uh and then um they get these uh, they get these um, locking filing cabinets where they're keeping like nuclear secrets, um, and he like he sort of learns to pick them basically by just like he takes the lock off of his and just spends all of his free time <laughs> working with this lock, just like picking it apart, seeing seeing how it works, all the seeing all those works. You just think. This guy's working on the Manhattan Project. He has like better things to do with his time <laughs> than like figure out how locks work. But he's just really focused on this lock. And it ends up being I mean, it's because he's a his wild biography, it ends up being really important in his biography for various things. But like uh but he also does all kinds of other things. Like he has these not just when he's a kid, like as an adult, and as like somebody again who's doing like important physics physics kind of work and things and like winning the Nobel Prize. He'll just like talk about just stopping. I seeing an ant and just staring at this ant for like 20 minutes. And of course he like has a little like a magnifying glass thing on him that he's just like looking at this ant for like 20 minutes. And I just remember thinking like, dude, you got stuff to do. You got to go, 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 bro. Brings I mean, like, you know what meaning I mean? to stop and smell the roses when you're literally stopping and smelling them for 20 minutes with a magnifying glass. Exactly. And like, there's another guy um, who this is like this is a beautiful model for me is um, uh, there's this really marvelous book by a guy named Gerald Durrell called My Life and Other Animals. Um, he's a, I believe he's a British dude who but he grew up on in Corfu um, and uh, he, he just has all these incredibly wild stories about like so he'd like go somewhere and he would see some insects or animals or whatever doing some kind of interesting thing as a kid, you know? Um, and he would just watch them all day. He would just, like, find an interesting, like, nest of insects or whatever. And he would just, like, lie on his belly and just watch them for the next six hours. And then he would go back home. Wow. And you think, well, why did he do that? Because they were amazing because like these birds or bugs or animals or whatever they were were amazing and just he would watch them and he learned to watch them and learned how to distinguish what the things that they were doing and learned like to distinguish the individual uh individual creatures and like 
to learn the patterns of the emotion and why it mattered what they did what they did what they did and they do all these things that like how else would you ever know and um i just like feel really i'm frankly kind of moved to a kind of compunction by stories like these because um i why don't i do that more than i do uh, and I don't mean this in a kind of naggy, like, uh, another thing on my to-do to-do list, but, like, precisely that. Like, I do, you know, you do see these really amazing things, but, like, um, to actually stop and take the time and to observe them closely and actually just try to turn off your mental clock and just sit with something for long enough for it to begin to sort of open up to you Mm -hmm. is a gift. And it's a powerful way of like actually entering into the beauty of the world around you just as such. And one thing that I really love about that is that it's not, you know, like dominated by the payout is not per se information, right? The payout is not something that you're going to like update the Wikipedia page with. Um, and that means that, that the experience is also not a re- can't be replaced by just like looking something up on like Wikipedia, you know, um, like, oh, why do you know, why do cicadas have this kind of a wing? Well, because, you know, fine, um, because it's you and you're the one who's discovering it and you're the one who's watching them and you see things that other people aren't going to see. Um, it's funny, like I know this about art. In my own experience, when I go to art museums, um, just as kind of like a act of charity slash like what we call like cost of the eyes in, in Catholic religious speech, which sometimes is just a slang for like, don't look at hot ladies for too <laughs> long. But um, but really means that like you are intentional about how you gaze, you know, with your eyes, mm-hmm. what you're intentional about, about how you look at things even. And like... So as that act of charity, I have to kind of just like stop looking at the other people around me because otherwise I get really annoyed that like this is like incredible masterpiece. This is incredible treasure. Uh, And people like look at it, take a photograph, walk away, forget they ever saw it. You know, it's like, ah, so like I know their their lack of mindfulness and intentionality actually uh, inhibits your ability to be mindful and intentional if you're not careful. Yeah, if I'm not, if, yeah, exactly. Like it just, it just activates like uh, all of my jerk complexes, which are immense. Really, it's like a whole. It's incredible. Like this, wow, whole Terra way cognita, you know, about uh, about all of those things that make me irrationally angry. And um, but anyway, but it's like I know this at an army museum. It's like you go and you find and you just like wander around till you find something that strikes you, and then you just like abandon all other projects. It's just like, this is the trick, by the way. If you want a trick for how to go to an art museum, this is how you do it. You just walk around till you find something that grabs your attention, and you abandon any notion that there's a rest of the museum, and you just sit down and you look at the thing. Yeah. And I will say, I will give full credit to my mother. This is something that she uh, really instilled in us pretty early. She would give me a drawing pad, and she would give me some crayons or pencils or whatever as I was getting older. And we would go to an art museum and I was just encouraged to wander around until I found a painting or an artwork or um, because in Pittsburgh, the the art museum and the natural history museum are, uh, are connected. Um, I might even find a taxidermied animal or a or a skeleton of a dinosaur. And I would just sit there and sketch whatever came to mind. And I would be there for five hours at a time. 
And this is something yeah. that she she actively encouraged us to do. She said, okay, Saturday we're just going to the museum with your drawing pad. You just find something and you just sit there and I'll come and collect you at the end of the day. <laughs> and it was really, it was one of the, the most priceless gifts she gave me because it really instilled this idea um, of just observing really, really early on. The other thing that you, you're talking about that reminds me, um, you know, you say custody of the eyes is, is often just uh, kind of bullshit code for not looking at hot ladies. It's, it's funny, though, that you say that because uh, Christopher West tells a story, and I don't remember what, what, uh, who or what priest this is a story about, but Christopher West always tells a story about a priest who works at a, uh, a Christian campus and will walk around and sometimes he'll see uh, couples in the fall or, or late spring um, make it out on the field or, or on the green or whatever. And he'll just sort of come up behind them and like sit down next to them uncomfortably close and just look at the sky. He's like, have you ever observed the beauty of the stars? And we'll just sit there with them for like 10 or 15 minutes, just looking at the stars. And they're like, wow, thanks for letting me look at the stars with you guys. See you later. And then just gets up and goes away. Now on the one end, you could see that very, uh, you know, dryly and cynically is just misdirection from, you know, letting these couples make out with each other. But I think the, f the far more profound way to look at it, I believe this is the way the priest looks at it, and it's certainly the way Christopher looks at it, is that, you know, this is a person encouraging to people who have observed beauty in each other to then open their eyes more fully to the even greater more cosmic beauty around them to take that hmm. to take that little crack of the door that they've opened they think they're going you know quote unquote too far and that the priest is going to be mad at them for going quote unquote too far but but he actually comes and flings the door wide open and says hey no let's observe all of the beauty let's really let god into this moment and just you know really let that flow and just study the beauty of the stars of each other for goodness sake and and not make this such a rush to you know get to the finish line of orgasm but instead to you know really experience authentic beauty in this cosmic moment and i think that's a a beautiful it's a funny story but it's 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 also a beautiful example i think of the kind of thing you're talking about here yeah yeah that's right and like that it does just take this profound, like it takes a certain kind of discipline because it, you do have to be willing to just bracket like all the other things I thought I was going to do with this next, like 15 minutes or whatever, or this like immediate goal that I was pretty sure I was heading towards. Um, and just be like, well, I'm going to do this thing and yeah. just give it all the time that it needs. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. And you have to silence like about a million really... screaming voices in your head in order to do that. And a million voices saying, no, you got to do, go do this thing. Or, no, you've, you've got to learn enough about this that you could add an entry to the Wikipedia page for it, as you said. But, but if you can learn to just say, hey, voices, like, I'll get to you in a minute. But first, yeah. I'm going to learn it's how like, locks yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. And that, like, you know, don't waste too much time trying to convince yourself like why this is useful or important. Like mm. it's just, it's good in itself. So do it, you know, just actually take that time to sort of observe and learn to observe, you know, cause it's just, it's clear. This is, this is, this is learned behavior. Like the, the heart wants to know, like the mind just wants to know naturally. And we, want to dig really deep down inside things richly with how we know them um at some kind of natural level 
Um, but to actually be able to do that is learned behavior. Like those are, those are things that you learn how to do. Right. And, um, so it's, it's good to just actually let yourself take that time to like pause and observe something that has grabbed your attention. Um, I'd say particularly something in the like natural or exterior or, you know, say artistic or whatever world, which is to say, um, I think this is going to be hard to do in um, like in a computer world, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying computers are bad. I just think that like the symbolic valences about that, like everything's going to get so wrapped up in kind of like search engines and tracking things down and mm -hmm. like all of this that it's going to, I think it's going to be pretty hard to really actually just let yourself sit with something and observe it. Right. Um, so I'd say like, maybe like i'm not sure i could really do that at least no. that way well and um, i think i think because you're we're not smart enough to do that i think you know i i think our brains say okay but what i'm looking at is a computer and so if you're yeah. actually if you're actually practicing this kind of intentional observance or observation the way that you and i are describing it right now you know if you're actually existing that presently with the object you're studying if that object happens to be on a screen, your brain is going to pivot, rightfully so, to just studying the screen. And and yeah. look, I'm not gonna say that that's necessarily like a bad thing to study in the same way that, that locks aren't a bad thing to study. You really wanna understand how a computer works, that could be cool, right? But there are many other things you should also wanna just sit there and observe for a while. Uh, so don't let them all be via this one channel. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's something, one thing I think find particularly gripping about this kind of notion of just simply like observing nature, just natural things happening as they're going to happen, um, is the very fact that they are outside of your control. Like, that's it. Like, I think I, I think that's, a, that's an element of this observation that is really, really important is that I can see something and sort of dig by looking deep down into it in a very powerful way. Uh, but it is outside my control. It's just, it's going to do its own thing, you know? So mm -hmm. like, that's a powerful thing about a living, a living creature in, in the world, you know, uh, sunsets, sunrises, whatever, like the, but those are real too, you know, that they, again, they have their own pace. They have their own rhythm and it is outside of my, outside of me, whether I want it to be so or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is actually something similar actually with an artwork. Like it's, I just, I can't make it be different than it is. Um, and that's part of the power of the observation is that I actually have to learn to be receptive of the thing as it is. And I can't change it. Mm -hmm. um, where again, like, that's why I say like, maybe try, don't jump into this with, with electronic kind of stuff, just because those can always be different than they are. They are always subject to my control in some fashion or another. Mm -hmm. um, I can always say enough and turn it off, you know? And so it's neat. I think it's more powerful and more helpful for like building this skill, building this like actual like openness to the beauty of the world around you by intentionally choosing something that escapes your ability to like turn it on or off, make it be different than it is all the rest. Right. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Because I think for this to be successful, um, not only should you not be able to change it, but hopefully this doesn't sound too hippy dippy, but it should really be changing you, right? You know, part of the beauty of something that is paced that differently from the way that you are paced <clears throat> is it inadvertently encourages you to synchronize yourself with it. 
you know, if I am sitting there and I'm just observing, you know, the sunset or the ant, you know, unconsciously, my mirror neurons are going to be synchronizing with that thing. And my, my pulse is going to be slowing down to match that my breathing is going to slow down to match that, you know, I am actually, uh, drawing closer to that thing and it's adjusting me simply by nature of my observing it authentically. And that's a really yeah. cool mental health thing to be able to do, to look mm -hmm. at something so closely that it actually forces a biochemical change is is a huge deal. And I mean, it's it's funny, some people laugh at this, but I, I, I think it's profound. As we get better at this process, you know, it's something that I will often encourage clients to do, especially if they have some wound with, with feeling ugly or, or, you know, body dysmorphia or something like this, where I will have them stand in the shower and look at a certain part of their own body this way. Hmm. You know, Interesting. are you taking the time to observe the, you know, the wrinkles on, on my hand, you know, am I taking the time to observe the weird bump on my foot? Am I, am I taking the time? Let's put our, you know, mature adult hats here on. Am I taking the time to marvel at God's handiwork in my penis or in my breasts or in, you know, the, the different parts of my, my body as it was made, being able to even observe that, I think that's a, a logical conclusion of this kind of practical mysticism you're describing because it, it actually then, you know, in the spirit of all the other points we've made so far, reorients you back not to just an ant, but reorients you back to you, um, which is, you know, the ultimate goal of all of these things. So it's, it's cool the lengths to which we can take um, an exercise that at, at, at first glance seems so simple. Go look at an ant for a while. I mean, you literally summed it up as observe things, right? But there's so much there. There's so much to unpack in, observe things, and there's so much room for exploration and growth and discovery um, that it, it really can afford to be an endless process in a, in a good yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I just say like, you know, because the, the end goal of all of this is not really to go back to you, but uh, for you to be drawn into god like right this is actually it, it, it this connects all of these things so they're not disparate experiences they're not disparate realities like the ant out there that i keep out by like bug spray and like uh sealable windows like my body which i i uh secretly obsessed with but also like um like hide or feel ashamed about or like uh hide under decorations of various kinds mm -hmm. um and then like god whom i hide myself from or who like i let hide in a church somewhere or whatever but like no 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 no. that we have to like actually like that that this skill of observation is the freedom to be able to like see how these are all radiant together that like that it is the god who created the universe and made it good that like radiates out through all of these things and that I can actually begin to learn to see his beauty in this very like humble and unassuming kind of way. Exactly. That's super cool. And I think it perfectly pivots me into my last point, which is very brief and very concrete. And that's just, if any of the things that we have talked about today have resonated with you at all, schedule it, let that mm. be your first step. Um, you know, in our world today, there is sort of this, I think, artificial war between what's considered spiritual and what's considered religious. But primarily what is considered religious is is that which is structured. 
right? Human beings need structure. You know, I, I talk to people all the time who says, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do that when things calm down. Oh, yeah. What a bunch of nonsense. This is why nobody did anything during the pandemic. It's like, oh, well, when I just <clears throat> when I just, you know, got a little bit more myself, you know, it's like, right. guess what? That's never going to happen. Never, just do it. ever going to happen unless you make <clears throat> it happen. So, you know, if you want to to, you know, and this is sort of by way of summary, if you want to reflect, as Father Gabriel says, on the fact that you are both art and artist and that your life itself is a work of art. Freaking schedule a time to do that. On Thursday at 1 p.m., I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take an hour to journal through what Father Gabriel said on the Created Things podcast. And I'm just going to examine and pray a little bit. I'm going to enter in a space of prayer and I'm just going to examine what it looks like for me to be an artist of my own uh, life artwork. If you, you know, were listening to me and you say, hey, yeah. Jacob's right. I, I do want to have some time to, you know, take that walk in the woods or draw that picture or read that book or whatever it is that I have determined that, you know, reflects my meanness back onto myself or, you know, maybe more rudimentary, uh, rudimentarily, <laughs> more rudimentarily, you know, saying, hey, I don't know what that thing is yet, but I want to take some time to figure out what it is. Either way, freaking journal that, too schedule that too. take that time to sit with it schedule it in advance somebody tells you oh hey can you go do this errand for me i'm so sorry i would love to help you with that thing um, at a different time i have a standing meeting at that time with myself to do you know to to do the thing that reminds me of my meanness to to explore you know what it means to be an artist of my own life to you know with your third point to observe things I am choosing once a week to give myself an hour to go sit in the yard and observe whatever shows up, whether that's a squirrel or a flower or the ant or the piece of poison ivy or that weed that I've been, you know, reminding myself to get rid of for a million years. I'm assigning this as part of my actual schedule. If you don't, if, if anything that, uh, that you've heard today resonates with you at all and you don't schedule it, the message you are sending to your brain is that none of this matters. And because what we're talking about is at its center, really you and God, you know, that's the, the center of everything we've talked about. The, the, the idea that you are an artist is about you and God. The idea of observing things truly is about, uh, is about seeing them as God made them and seeing yourself as God made you. You know, the, the idea of, of doing something that reminds you of your Eunice is explicitly about you and God, right? So if you are telling yourself unconsciously that this stuff doesn't matter enough to schedule, you are really telling yourself that you and God don't matter. That is the signal that your lower brain is going to be receiving as a result of your actions. And you are going to end your day that much more depressed and emptied because secretly and unconsciously you've been feeding yourself the message that you don't matter for 14 hours before you crash mm -hmm. at night. And, and that's going to be, you're going to be so much worse off for having listened to this podcast because before listening to this podcast, it was just, hey, you know, I work myself to death and then I, you know, I watch this dumb show and then I pass out for the night, right? Which is destructive enough. But now because of this information we, we've given you, you're going to be sending yourself the unconscious message that if you don't schedule time to do this, that it's because you suck <laughs> and you Beautiful. hate yourself and you aren't this deserving This is always my goal. It. Yeah. 
This is right? my goal. So we have given you a hammer and you can build a beautiful house with it or you can beat yourself to death with it. But we strongly Yay! encourage you to build a house with it. And the first step to building that house is scheduling the time to do these things. We're Catholics, right? We are Catholics. We are organized religion. We have the liturgy of the hours. We have mass at these specific times, you know, every day and once a week, you know, we recognize that as beautiful it is, is as it is to stare at that ant, we as human beings are too obsessed with the ephemeral and the hustle to possibly slow ourselves down organically. So Christian, know thyself, just plan to do this and, and then reap the benefits as a result. Yeah. Anything to add there to that, to that idea, father? You know, the one thing I'd say is that with it and kind of, uh, is also like, so I remember when I was, uh, just starting out as a Dominican, as a novice, um, someone told me, or I read in a book, something or something, uh, that like, if you're reading something, even if it's like the Bible, uh, and something grabs, like some kind of spiritual thing kind of reaches up and like grabs your attention, um, stop what you're doing right away mm. and just stop what you are doing and give all of your attention to that thing. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like if you are, you're reading the Bible and you're like, well, I'm just going to get to the end of this paragraph. Don't. You're reading like a any kind of like novel or something and something strikes you and grabs you. Don't get to the end of the chapter. Don't get to the end of the page. Don't get to the end of the paragraph. Stop what you are doing and just like sit with that thing that grabbed you. Hmm. That's you know? beautiful. Like it's really I can tell you like this. Uh, this I can tell you from like practical hard experience because i am a i'm a finisher especially where books are involved i am a finisher like I, this is the i don't stop midway ever you know so like it was a hard discipline to learn but i promise you literally every time i said to myself like well i'm you know what i'm just gonna get to the end of this paragraph that's stupid you know and but then be gone Mm -hmm. You know, because it's just a kind of like a flash of insight. It's like a gift of the Holy Spirit, a kind of like uh, a little like brush of grace from God, like a certain a lifting up of the heart to prayer, an invitation of the heart to prayer. Um, uh, and then, at, you know, at the natural level, sometimes it's just like insights, like certain kinds of ways of grabbing of grabbing something fascinating from what, you, what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're thinking about, what's just happened. Stop what you were doing. Stop what you're doing. Bam. On the spot. Mm -hmm. and like let that be and i Just think like of all the things be, that we've talked you know? about because i mean i i will do this too right i was i was taught by a a spiritual mentor very early on that like if i was in prayer ever and a song found its way into my head or a movie clip found its way into my memory while i was in prayer to assume that that to not try to ignore that thought and focus harder on the prayer but rather to assume that that was god talking to me through the lyrics of that song or through the the movie clip or whatever that was coming into my memory. And so, you know, this is something that I will often do where I will sit there and I'll be, you know, saying whatever prayer I feel like I'm supposed to be saying and then something will creep in and I'll go, oh, okay, God wants me thinking about this thing instead right now. And it, it always leads to, to rich spiritual fruit. So I totally agree with you there. The caveat that I throw in though is that I also recognize as a person who's a little bit of a workaholic, that is very, 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 very hard to do. I mean, you, you are reflecting yeah. that in your own story. It's really and, hard. And you need to teach your body because, you know, we're, we're like cars. We, we have this momentum behind us all the time. And if you stop short, you know, you 
you are going to go through the windshield of your own psyche, right? And so teaching your body that slowing that car down is actually a high value good so that you can feel comfortable and safe to when something occurs to you, just stop and explore it the way father is describing is really, really important. And the way you teach your body that is by doing what I'm talking about, which is scheduling times to do it. Because again, mm. right now, you're telling your body that things are important by scheduling them. That meeting is important, so I schedule it. That soccer game is important, so I schedule it. If you aren't doing that with these other important things, you're telling your body that they aren't important. And you can never hope to get to the point that Father Gabriel's describing, where you just are able to kind of observe something and then, and then chase that rabbit. You know, you, you need to first teach your body that that's a safe thing to do. So in summary, life is beautiful. And if you want to make it more beautiful, you know, do what we're talking about today. Observe things, as Father Gabriel said. Uh, you know, remember that you are an artist. Strive for, for uh, recreativity. Is that how you put it, Father Gabriel? Recreativity versus recreation. I'm going to use that. Um, and, and schedule all of these things to do because you're worth it and God made you to be worth it. Um, and so with that in mind, I think it's a, as good a place as any to wrap up this episode. So we, we wish you a blessed day and I invite you to go forth and create cool things. This has been Created Things, an art, soul, and mind production with Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta. Production by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on the podcast and on its hosts, visit artsoulandmind.com. <laughs>